So how you guys doing? Well, I'm doing all right. My name is Bill Reeser, and I'm the pastor of Encounter. I want to welcome everyone out to the greatest place to be on a Friday night. Welcome everyone. I want to welcome all of our friends online that are watching us online, uh, people from around the country. We've got good friends uh, from Kentucky that are watching. We've got some friends from Rockford, Illinois uh, that are freezing their tails off watching. We've got people in Ventura, people from all around the country. We want to welcome our online family. We want to welcome you to the Father's House tonight. And I want to welcome everyone back to our series. Last week we kicked off our, our teaching series on our 12 Anchors of Hope. And if we can get the first anchor up on the screen, we, last week we spoke on Anchor 1 with a talk titled, Stop It. Just stop it. And Anchor 1 says, make the decision to get well from my problems and brokenness and admit that I do a terrible job at playing God. Now, if you were here last week, I just want to thank Aaron for coming back and leading us in worship. Just an unbelievable job. Thank you so, so much. But last week we learned about a man who had an infirmity for 38 years, who didn't want to get well. And then he had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life forever. Jesus spoke a total of 28 words to him that changed his life forever. 28 direct words. Do you want to get well? Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. 28 life-changing words. That's what you call a life-changing encounter that changed this man's condition at once, immediately. And one of the most fascinating things about the story, if you look at it closely in the fifth chapter of John, was that this man had no idea that it was Jesus that actually healed him, that actually set him free. He had no idea it was Jesus until Jesus approached him afterwards and said, stop it. Stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. You know, the last thing written about this man at the pool of Bethesda was that he told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. That's how his story ends. We don't know anything else about the man's life other than he didn't want to get well. He had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus healed him anyway because that's what Jesus does. So I want to share another story with you tonight, a story of another man who was an invalid, who had an encounter that changed his life, but he had a completely different ending. It's a great story in the book of Acts. Now, just a little, add a little context here. This is, this is Peter. This is John walking into a prayer meeting. This is right after Pentecost. This is right after the church got started. This is right after the Holy Spirit came upon everyone. This is right after Jesus preached and 3,000 people got saved. And then they're going to a prayer meeting, and here's what happens. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. That's amazing that they pray every day at 3 o'clock. And as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day, he was put beside the temple gate, just like the invalid at the pool that we learned about last week. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate. Don't miss that. We're going to talk about that in a couple minutes. The one called the beautiful gate. So he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently. Peter said, look at us. Look at me. 
Look at me. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but what I have, I'm going to give to you. And in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Sound familiar? Just like last week, Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Peter prays over this guy. He just tells him, get up and walk. That's his prayer. As direct as you can get. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood to a, up on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, he started leaping, then praising God. And he went in the temple with them. And all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. Two invalids. Two people that needed to get well from their problems. One wanted to get well, the other didn't. Both men were carried every day to a place of healing. One man was carried to a pool where miracles happened every day. The other man was carried to a prayer meeting at the gate called Beautiful. But this prayer meeting was everything but beautiful. See, this was a powerless prayer meeting. This was a prayer meeting that was as dead as it gets. Nothing miraculous and beautiful ever happened at this prayer meeting because the Pharisees would show up at this prayer meeting and say these loud prayers just to show off in front of people. And Jesus said, don't pray like them. And that's what would happen. And they never got to see miracles like this. Trust me, this prayer meeting was everything but beautiful until two people filled with the Holy Spirit, walking with the power of God, show up and change everything. The man at the pool never expressed gratitude for his healing. The man at the gate, called beautiful, was beyond grateful for his healing. And he praised Jesus, and he skipped, and he jumped, and he screamed, and he yelled, and he praised God. Both had life-changing encounters with Jesus or someone, in pray or someone who prayed in Jesus' name like Peter did, and their lives were changed forever. So let me ask you, when was the last time you had an encounter with God that was life-changing? That totally transformed your life. I love sharing about my testimony. I don't have time to get into the whole thing tonight. But the encounter I had with Jesus 20 years ago changed my life forever. It was an encounter with God, a road to Damascus experience that changed everything. And my encounter with God didn't happen at a meeting. It didn't happen with a sponsor. It didn't happen applying a step for me. It wasn't even a church service or even a great sermon or a gathering of some sort that did it for me. It was an unexpected, unplanned encounter with Jesus that did it for me. It was an encounter with God where God revealed his love to me by giving my wife the ability to forgive me when I didn't deserve it. And she loved me and forgave me despite me, and I knew that that was God's love speaking to her where God loved me, and I realized that God loved me despite me, and that's when I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ.
That's when I told God, I'll do anything you want me to do just as long as I know it was you. It was a loving, miraculous moment in time I'll never forget. I was in God's presence. I had an encounter with God that night. I heard the voice of God that night. I heard God tell me, if you don't accept me tonight, you're going to die. I was dying. I just didn't realize it, but I was actually dying that night. And after I made the decision to accept Christ that night, I heard God speak to me again. And he said, now go fight for your family. And I've been fighting for my family ever since, and God has restored my family because God's a healer, a reconciler, and there is, there is nothing impossible for God. That encounter with God changed my life forever. And since then, I have had many encounters with God. I've been in his presence many times, many times. I've heard the voice of God over and over and over again. And God still speaks to me when I'm in his presence when I'm fully submitted to his plans and purposes in my life. Fact is, he's speaking to you as well too. He's just not speaking to me. Look what it says in Isaiah 30, 21. Your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or whether to the left. John 10, 27 says, my sheep, my kids, my children hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You know, it's sad to say, and it breaks my heart, that some of you are watching online, some of you may be here tonight, and you've never heard the voice of God. You've never experienced the presence of God like that. You know, it's not a question of does God speak to us or not. He's always speaking. The question is, are we listening? Do we want to listen? And do we want the other voices speaking to us take a back seat to the voice of God? Because you do have competing voices that are fighting for your attention. So let's talk about this. How does God speak to us? If you got your outline tonight, you may want to just write these in real quick. Well, God speaks to us many different ways. One of the ways that he speaks to us is through his word. See, to know God's voice is to know God's word. You spend time in God's word, you're going to know the voice of God. You spend time in God's, in God's Bible, which, by the way, is anchor number eight. Make God's word the authority. When you make God's word the authority over my life, and you're submitted to everything, and you, you agree with everything that you read, and you're willing to live out everything that you read, you will hear the voice of God really, really clear. To know God's voice is to know God's word. The second way we can hear God's voice is through his son, Jesus Christ. You want to know the voice of God? Study the life of Jesus and study everything that he's ever taught and said. You study the life of Jesus and submit your life to everything that he says, you're going to hear the voice of God. All you have to do is look at Jesus and see what he has to say, and you'll hear the voice of God every single day of your life. Look what it says in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Long ago, God spoke many times, and in many ways, to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his Son. God speaks to you through Jesus, through the life of Jesus. You know how he does that? The third way that we can hear the voice of God, and that's through the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit in you. 
you're going to hear the voice of God. Look what it says in John 16. This is Jesus speaking. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Watch this. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you. This is the voice of God. Here it is. But will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you, you, about the future. And he will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. So a couple quick things right there. First of all, the Holy Spirit doesn't speak on his own. He's in line, he's in tune with Jesus and the Father. They don't do anything separate, although they're one but separate. And they're separate entities. It's part of the Trinity. So if you want to hear the voice of God, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And let the Holy Spirit empower your life and lead your life. He will tell you about the future. One of my favorite Old Testament scriptures is Isaiah 42.9. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. God will announce things to you through the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the ways you can hear the voice of God. Number four, and this is a real tricky one, but this is, this is, uh, this is a familiar, sometimes even safe way for many people to hear the voice of God, and that's through godly counsel. Through godly counsel. Now, let me just share real carefully what I'm talking about. First of all, Proverbs 11:14 says this: where there is no guidance, people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there's what? Victory, right? But I want to tell you tonight that there's a difference between godly or Christian counseling and biblical counseling. Stay with me. There is a huge difference. Most prefer godly or Christian counseling, but not biblical counseling. And they're separate. Godly counseling counsels you with the character and wisdom of God. The problem and trap with godly counsel, and there's nothing wrong with godly counsel, is the character and wisdom you get comes only from a place of that counselor's own submission, trust, obedience, and surrender. Biblical counseling counsels you directly from the truth of God's word. It doesn't sugarcoat it. It doesn't compromise God's word. It's never ashamed of God's word. A biblical counselor should be able to say this to you. I've heard what you said. Now let me show you what the voice and will of God says, period. And they should be able to open up God's word and says, here's what you're supposed to do. That's what biblical counseling does. Here's the other problem with godly or Christian counseling. It's easy to find a counselor who will agree with you. It's easy to find a codependent counselor that won't directly challenge you in your sin. It's not uncommon for someone struggling, should I stay in this marriage? It wouldn't be wise for them to go see a Christian counselor who's had three divorces. Because there'll be some part of that wisdom of, well, I gave up and it was okay for me, that they'll impart to the person they're counseling. You just need, to, that's just one of many, many examples. One of the other ways 
that God speaks to us is from the peace that comes through the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit, you'll have peace. You don't have the Holy Spirit, you won't have peace. John 14, 26, 27 says this, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world does. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And don't be afraid. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. He does. By giving you his peace. And you know what the, you know what the Holy Spirit's saying? You know what God's saying when he gives you his peace? Sometimes absolutely nothing. You just have an overwhelming sense of peace. Like it says in Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. You have, if you, if you, listen, if you're submitted to the Holy Spirit to lead your life, you open up the door for peace to overflow like a river over your life. And it's one of the many ways you can know God's voice. It's just by that peace that overwhelms you. You grieve the Holy Spirit, you'll have strife, anxiety, fears, and you won't have any peace. And so one of the ways that God speaks to us is through his peace. He'll tell you which way to go, when to go, how to go, where to go. This and that. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And one day my wife was in a car and she, got, she, was at a, she was at a light, and the light turned green. And she heard the Holy Spirit said, don't go. And she just stood in her car with the brakes on at a green light. And about another second later, after she stood there, a car busted a red light and would have hit her head on. But she heard that voice that said, stop it, don't go. A different kind of stop it. Just don't go. And it saved her life. The sixth way we can hear God's voice, and there are many other ways. God speaks in many, many, but these are the main ways that he speaks to us, is through an atmosphere of prayer. All of this happens in prayer. If you pray and spend time in God's presence and wait on God, you'll hear the voice of God. One of the things that I'm so excited about at Encounter is our Encounter Studies. And for those of you that have done an encounter study, one of the most life-changing things that you could ever do in your life is that for each lesson that we give, for each lesson that we wrote, and for each scripture that we give, we give you three prayers to pray. And if you're open to hearing the voice of God, God will speak to you and change your life in that encounter study. And the three prayers are, God, what are you saying in this passage? And the second prayer is, what are you saying to me? And the third prayer is, how can I apply this to my life? And if you're fully open to God leading your life, you will hear from God every day. Every moment, anywhere, anytime that you want. You see, to hear the voice of God clearly, it does take a life of submission, trust, obedience, humility, surrender, a radical lifestyle 
of pure devotion, not perfect, following Jesus at any cost. Because Jesus died for you. So you can follow the voice of God or you can follow your heart. The voice of God will lead you to victory in God's truth all the time. Your heart will let your emotions and desires lead you down a destructive dead-end destiny. Shane Pruitt is a pastor in Texas. He's a big evangelist. He said this. He said, how many times have you heard someone just say, follow your heart? What is your heart telling you to do? Just follow your heart. How many times have we said, oh, that person has a good heart? They don't. How many people have you met, either a counselor, a close confidant, a mentor, a loved one, and after they told you what they thought would be best for you, they wrapped up the whole conversation with the predictable advice of, here it is, you ready? Oh, you just need to follow your heart. Oh, just follow your heart. See, the world tells us to follow our hearts, and our hearts help us make the big decisions in life, right? Let it come from your heart. What is your heart telling you to do? Have you noticed that most people who give this type of advice have no idea what you're supposed to do? But that's how they wrap up their whole conversation of counseling after they're done with you. When it's all said and done, just follow your heart. But if following our hearts is supposed to be how we make signature life decisions, I think it would be wise for us to be reminded of what our hearts are really like and what following our heart really means. You see, the heart is more than something that just pumps inside of us that makes the blood flow through the body. The heart is the centerpiece of our feelings, our emotions, and our desires, right? And when we follow something or someone, it implies that they're going to lead us, right? When we follow our heart, it means that we're going to follow our feelings, our emotions, and our desires. That's what you follow when you follow your heart. Just think about that for a second. That by following your heart, you're following your feelings, your desires. And you're allowing those things to be your guide. You see, those things change all the time. Think about that. They change all the time. They can change with a phone call. They can change with an episode of This Is Us. They can change with a word of criticism. Or maybe you're stuck on a drive through line of someone at Starbucks who doesn't know what they want. That'll change your emotions, right? You know, just give me a double whip. You know, extra sprinkles of cinnamon on my, you know, extra foam latte or whatever. You know, with an extra dash of whatever. You know, I just feel like getting out of my car and whipping them over their dash. Because my emotions change when I have to wait online. Unfortunately, many of us are just like that. We're all over the map. We're completely lost. My good friend David from California told me one day I was having a conversation with him. He said our emotions, our feelings are like a roulette wheel. Every day we wake up to a different feeling and emotion, don't we? Anyone can identify with that? The Bible also has a lot to say about the heart, right? Look what it says in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Look what Jesus said. He pointed out the fallen condition of our hearts. He said this, from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, 
sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. This is just my inventory. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person, Mark 7, 21 to 23. If someone had that said about them, would you follow them? Then why would you follow someone with a good heart? You know why? Because they don't have a good heart. They don't. Then why then would we ever follow our heart that is described in this exact way by the one who created it and knows it best? Here's the good news. This is not just gloom and doom. Here's the good news. When we give our lives to Jesus Christ, we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, he gives us so many things. He gives, I mean, we get so, this is, I, I talked about this a couple weeks ago. When we become new creations in Christ, we get a new identity. We get an eternal home in, in heaven. We get the mind of Christ. We get the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. We get the word that's already written on our heart. We get the power that we never had, but we also get a heart transplant. God changes our heart. Look what it says in Ezekiel. This is my life verse. I love this scripture. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. When you follow your heart, you worship idols. But I will give you a new heart with new and right desires, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take out your stony heart of sin, and give you a new obedient heart. And I will put my spirit in you so you will obey all my laws and do whatever I command. Therefore, because of that scripture, because of that truth, we should follow the great heart surgeon. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. Follow his word. Follow his Holy Spirit. This is the method and pathway God's given us for us to make key signature life decisions and hear his voice. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us speaks to us through his word. And he leads us. He answers our questions. And he shows us the truth of God's word. And this is critical because whatever is being told to me has to line up with God's word. That's how I know it's the voice of God. And I can rest assured that he will never, ever lead me to do anything that is contrary to it. I don't follow my heart. The Holy Spirit leads my heart. See, the battle is always remembering that truth. See, when my heart, even as a Christian, tries to play God, desperately wanting to be the boss and leader again, I need to remind myself that I have a new heart with new and right desires. And I need to surrender my heart, my will, my life, my motives, everything to Jesus Christ all over again, every day. One last thing about the heart. You follow your heart, and you will never shake the guilt and condemnation that comes with you trusting your own heart. Look what it says in 1 John. It said, this then is how we know we belong to the truth. And how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Isn't that a great scripture? So here's a prayer that you can pray. Simple prayer. Lord, don't let me follow my heart. Instead, you lead my heart in truth to do your will. Simple prayer. See, I've been waiting to do this for a long time. This is why we named the ministry Encounter. 
We wanted you to have an encounter with God. We wanted you to hear the voice of God. We wanted you to be filled with the Spirit of God and be led by the Spirit of God. I've been around church long enough to see how dangerous it is to follow your emotions and to follow your heart. I've seen too many people, especially in recovery, look for encounters with meetings, look for encounters with groups, sponsors, and never have an encounter with the living God and experience healing and transformation. I mean, if you look hard enough, you'll find a group for just about anything these days. I mean, I went to a group this week. Check out this group. This is my group I went in, I think it was Tuesday. It's a forgetful folks support group. Did you get that? Hi, my name's Bill, and I'm forgetful. Hi, Carl. You like that? You have to be sick to get these things. Here's, so, so here's the second group I found. Check out this group. This is a non-essential organ support group. It says, hi, my name is Appendix, and sometimes I get so angry I could burst. He's, he's, sitting, he's sitting next to tonsil, gallbladder, and wisdom tooth. See the wisdom tooth with the, with the beard? See, you can find a group for just about anything. And here's a, here's a third group I found, and then there's this guy. Check this guy out. There you go. That's the third group. You can find a group for just about anything. But let me tell you something. On a more serious note, and here's the truth. I have seen people who were once part of this ministry. People used to come to encounter even my other ministries. And they've chosen sex over their savior. They've chosen drugs over their deliverer. They've chosen a 12-step experience over a life-changing encounter with the Holy Spirit. I have seen people say thanks, but no thanks. I want a meeting with people who get me instead of an encounter with the God who created me. I have seen people use their habits as a crutch and never get well instead of having an encounter with Jesus who tells us to get up, pick up our mat, and walk. I have seen people in recovery who go from drugs to cigarettes, alcohol to overeating, porn to pills, shopping to gossiping, and moving from one stronghold to another, even getting hooked on meetings instead of getting hooked on Jesus. Take it from a person who was hooked on cocaine, and now I'm hooked on Christ. Take it from a person who was hooked on hate, and now I'm hooked on the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's my life. There is no other life. Take it from a prideful, conceited, self-absorbed, narcissistic insecure person who loved to hear himself talk and be the life of the party. That's who I used to be. But now God's humbled me. He's changed me. He's healed me. He's given me a new identity. I know who I am. I know I'm secure, accepted. I know I'm significant. I know what it means to hear the voice of God. I know what it means to be in his presence. I know what it means to be a loved child of the one true king. And I know how important it is to have encounters with God each and every day. So friends, I just want to tell you right now tonight, if you're looking for an emotional experience to fulfill the emptiness in your life, you're going to be running on empty instead of being filled with the Spirit. And when you have encounters with God, you hear the voice of God and allow the Holy Spirit to lead you because that's where the action is. That's where the abundant life that Jesus Christ died for is. There is no other life. 
Jesus didn't come into this world, accomplish what he did for us so that we could be entertained in church. He came so that we can have encounters with God in church. Jesus didn't come so that you can have a 65-minute experience with psychedelic lights, a 3D cross that's spinning around. He came so that you can have an encounter with God and be changed, transformed where your core values are changed. You're living for God. Nothing else matters. You're, You're just living with purpose and nothing else exists, matters for you but the life of Christ, Christ crucified in you, and that's the abundant life that he died for. That's what Christ wants for you. He wants you to have that encounter. He wants you to live for him every second of your life. Timothy Keller is a pastor in New York City. He wrote a book called Encounters with Jesus. And I just took this quote from him this week. It's, it, when I read this, I, I, I just flipped over. He said this, everybody's got to live for something. But Jesus is arguing that if he's not that thing, it will fail you. First, it will enslave you. Whatever that thing is, you will tell yourself that you have to have it or there is no tomorrow. That means that if anything threatens it, you'll become inordinately scared. If anyone blocks it, you'll become inordinately angry. And if you fail to achieve it, you'll never be able to forgive yourself. But second, if you do achieve it, it will fail to deliver the fulfillment you expected. And let me give you an eloquent contemporary expression of what Jesus is saying. Nobody put this better than the American writer David Foster Wallace. You ever heard of this guy? He got to the top of his profession. He was an award-winning, best-selling postmodern novelist known around the world for his boundary-pushing storytelling. He once wrote a sentence that was more than a thousand words long. I like this guy. A few years before the end of his life, he gave a now famous commencement speech at Kenyon College. He said to the graduating class, listen how profound this is. He says, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before your loved ones finally plant you. Worship power and you'll end up feeling weak and afraid, and you'll need even ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, it's that they're unconscious. They're default settings. Timothy Keller goes on to say, Wallace was by no means a religious person, but he understood that everybody worships. Everyone trusts in something for their salvation. Everyone bases their lives on something that requires faith. A couple of years after giving that speech, 
Wallace killed himself. And this non-religious man's parting words to us are pretty frightening. And here's what this man had to say. Something will eat you alive. Because even though you might never, ever call it worship, you can be absolutely sure you are worshiping and you are seeking. And Jesus says, it's amazing how people know what Jesus says, because he's always speaking. Unless you're worshiping me, unless I'm the center of your life, unless you're trying to get your spiritual thirst quenched through me, and not through these other things, unless you see that the solution must come inside rather than just pass by on the outside, then whatever you worship will abandon you in the end. And friends, that's why each and every one of us needs an encounter with God. We don't need a program. We don't need a meeting. We don't need Dr. Phil. We need an encounter with God. An encounter with God can do more in one second in his presence than you can do in 10 years of meetings. God can change the trajectory of your life just like that. He can show up on your worst day and he can say some of the most loving things you'll ever hear, like get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Follow me. Pick up your cross. Forsake your life. Die to your life. Follow me and make me your life. Because there is no other life. And you're going to find out one way or, or another. Because one day, you're going to see me face to face. And I'm going to look at you. And I'm going to see where am I found, where is my life found in you. So as we worship tonight, I believe that tonight could be that night where you could have that life-changing, miraculous encounter with God that can change everything. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that there's nothing more than important than having an encounter with you. And I'm not talking about an emotional feeling. I'm talking about a life-changing transaction where one touch from you can change everything. So, Father, I, I just pray tonight for anyone needing a touch, a physical touch of healing, a relational touch, a touch for their minds, their struggles, whatever it is that they're going through. I pray for every person watching, every person here, that while we worship, we wouldn't just sing words to a song. We would seek your face and we would have a life-changing encounter because what we need most is you. We need an encounter with the God who loves us despite us, who forgives us still and welcomes us with open arms. 
and says, come home. Come home. And pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.